Welcome or welcome back. This is Beers with Talos, episode 143. How to do? Nailed it. This is February 2nd, 2024. I'm joined as always by Matt and Lorene. Let's go around the table. Let's start this thing off like we normally do. Matt, you're up first. We did, we did the thing where we uh, we spend 34 <laughs> minutes talking to each other before we start recording, and now we're we're out of things. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, a lot of the things we say prior shouldn't be said on a podcast. That's absolutely fair. Matt, what is going on with you today? What is going on with you? Uh, this week? Uh, I found a a music video that I want to share. And music videos are amazing things to share on podcasts. Yeah, no. And so I've decided, that, well, here's what I want to do. I don't want to spoil it, right? Because I think it's a really cool music video. So I'm going to talk about some of the unimportant things about it and like uh, maybe tell the listeners what kind of journey they would go on. Um, the music video is called High Ren. Um, H-I space R-E-N by a guy named Ren. Um, so if you've heard it, you know. Um, if you haven't heard it, it's a really heavy video. So don't like, uh, don't wander into it uh, without giving yourself about 15 minutes, a nine minute or so video. Um, but you'll want four or five minutes at the end to just sort of put yourself back together. Um, the way it'll go for you um, is uh, it'll start and you'll see two men in it. There'll be a man in a pig mask with like a bloody apron. Don't worry about him. The guy that's going to break your heart is the guy in the wheelchair. And so uh, you, uh, he's got a guitar. It'll sound weird to you. Don't worry about it. It's just nylon strings. You're not used to hearing a guitar like that, but that's that's all it is there. Um, but then he's going to rap over music. That won't throw you because as soon as he starts rapping, you're going to get into the story you're going to tell. And you're going to go through a few phases. Um, your first phase is, is you're going to be like, oh, I get this. Because it'll be immediately become evident what's happening. And you'll think, I understand this. Oh, this guy's gone through a lot. Um, cool. Uh, and then the world will fall out from under you. And you will fall into a dark place with this person. Um, and then at the bottom of that, he'll then bring you back up unexpectedly to a, a, a lighter place, but not a perfect place. Um, and then he'll put the guitar down and you'll think, Oh, wow, that was a lot. I should process that. I'm glad this is over. Um, and then it won't be over. Then he's going to tell you some more stuff and then you get to process the whole video. And so that's the kind of, you just be ready for that sort of experience. But it's like maybe the most impactful video I've seen in a few years. Uh, there's a lot going on in it. It really hit me in a real horrible spot. And so I've shared it with a few people and uh, I think listeners would, would enjoy seeing it. I think my uncle gave the same description of the American Pie video. Well, that'll throw people for a loop if they're going in thinking this is American <laughs> Pie. Lorraine, what's on your mind? Uh, I was just uh, saying to Matt while you're grabbing some water, uh, my drummer's kid is in high school and uh they have asked me to come and give a discussion about the tech industry to high school kids and i have realized that i have no idea what i would say to high school kids about the tech industry right now like i don't know what would be useful to them i don't know what advice to give people i'm basically useless in this regard as far as i can tell yeah, it's also challenging because um, I was thinking about that. One is we're we're in management, so our experience is probably different than their experience would be. But also, we're at Cisco, and certainly there are things about working for Cisco that that I do not like. Um, but I don't know that I can distinguish those between a lot of other large companies. Things that I wouldn't like. Having talked to my peers and kind of watching what's going on, there are definitely places in the tech industry. I would not work, period. And then there would possibly be places that I would hate to work if I did work there, um, which is not the case at Cisco. There's some 
some culture stuff going on in the tech space that yeah uh i don't think we we fall i don't think we fall victim as much as some other places fall victim to and it's really gross to watch from the outside yeah the only actual advice that i could think of to give people who are younger than me is quit if you don't like it <laughs> that's it <laughs> I mean, I think that goes that goes beyond just the tech space, right? right? Like, there's a I mean, big range yeah. of ways that you can be treated at work, and if you're not in a good one, don't stay. So, that was it. That was all I could think of. I mean, in general, it feels like, as a person who is 40 now, I have no idea what it's like to be 20 in the tech space, and I also definitely don't have any idea about what it's going to be like in seven years to be in the tech space, right? Because these are these are like sophomore, junior, and high school. So seven, six, seven years, they're going to be in tech, and it'll be totally different. And I will, you know, my advice will mean nothing. So that was the other thought that I had. It moves, things change very quickly. And the opportunities and spaces that exist now will not exist then, and they were well, the ones that existed when we were kids or younger. Like Larry and you and I both have given this advice. Yeah. It's just, it's okay to be selfish, right? And, and just, you know, whether that's, and that that's within regards to decisions that, that primarily affect yourself, right? Like, so like you don't have an obligation to this entity that you're stuck with, but you can, you are in a marketplace where you can take your your skills and abilities and go someplace else. And you're under no no constraint to stay in the place you're not trapped there yeah yep which will probably be not the message that the teachers was expecting for you to roll in with yeah most useful things they would hear yeah so so is that your advice that i should go and actually tell them that yeah all right cool i'll do that is that yeah as as parents is that something that you would want someone to come in and tell your kids i guess Yeah. yeah 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 okay that's what I, I want to tell. Know. I wouldn't give advice to somebody that I wouldn't give to my kid. Yeah, I agree with that. At some level, working in tech is just a strange thing. Like it, you you hear one side of it, like getting the entry level job, like getting in the door is so difficult. But yet, once you have that job, like you you're you're right, Matt. You can literally you can you can go anywhere. Like once you are in that role working for a larger company there's like your skills are extremely marketable no matter what you're doing in some tech space i don't know i think kids these days know that nobody has a job longer than a year or two anyway like that's i don't think that's like like i, I don't think they have some of the same illusions we like were brought up with in terms of at least i'd i'd hope not yeah that's, that's another thing to talk about right like don't don't trust the boomers <laughs> when they tell you what you ought to do in a business don't even trust me, but don't trust people older than me. You don't have to tell the children not to trust the boomers. I have seen the online discourse. They are not right, good. Not okay, cool. The good. That makes me feel good about <laughs> our future prospects. <laughs> They're not falling for any of that shit. <laughs> no, I mean, dude, they're on the fence about Gen X. I, let's not tell a lie. Like, they're really on the fence about Gen X. Yeah. I'm on the fence about Gen X, <laughs> and I'm on the fence of Gen X. <laughs> I feel like, I feel like Gen X was the uh, and, and I'm firmly in Gen X was the uh, the first generation to be like there's something f-ing going on and we're just gonna check out with all this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, turns out the uh, Gen Xers' seething distrust of everything was pretty much spot on, right? Uh, so we wanted to do wait, something. Oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, no, wait. We, yeah, 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 yeah. We do. We wanted to talk. Uh, we wanted to talk before we get into today's riveting topic of crap we found on Reddit. That <laughs> wait, don't shut off. It's specifically cybersecurity <laughs> stuff. It's not just like whatever Joe Rogan said yesterday. <laughs> you know, I just dawned on me. I actually don't see Joe Rogan in my Reddit feed very much. Like, I must well, be doing something. That's because right there. I aggressively I tune my Reddit feed. <laughs> Uh, no, we wanted to talk uh, about a, a more of a, a public service announcement, just a reminder of sorts. Uh, this is this has kind of come to the surface again. Uh, we were playing with various live stream solutions and came across our old friend OBS, 
I mean, I know that a lot of people already use that, uh, especially if you do any kind of live streaming stuff or or any kind of you know content like that. Uh, but it's it's a pretty awesome tool, and one of the coolest things about it that I had completely forgot about since the pandemic is all the virtual camera stuff you can do, like with like lower thirds and and stuff like that. Uh, and and Matt has has been helpful in figuring out all kinds of th- shit you can do uh, when you're in your conference calls uh, with with OBS type like virtual camera software like that. So we need to we need to figure out a few more things we can do on on those calls, Matt. Uh, yeah. Like turning the camera clockwise is one thing. Like that's kind of like you know. So I I was I'm more toward like uh, the the your camera's broken and like everything they see is black and white. Like that would be a a better one. But I can't think of too many other other things we need to do there. I like I like the idea of like things slowly going wrong, like over the course of like a thirty minute video like you completely desaturate your image over 30 minutes and, and you have some like bizarre thing you're like oh i gotta cool my camera down and get when it gets too hot it loses its color or stuff like that like it has to be blamed has to be blamed on on everything but you like it's a webex issue we're gonna have to open a bug because every time i unmute my camera turns upside down i don't know what's going on you can do overlay right yeah, I'm wondering if there's a way because there is like the the caption feature. I wonder if there'd be a way to grab that and do it as a scroll in the in like your own camera, like because that would really look like some kind of weird WebEx bug. Like put the closed caption on your feed. Actually, like actually, on your now, camera feed. Now that I'm thinking this out, I think what you need to do as a manager is invest in your people, and like in this case, I think it wouldn't be wise necessarily for you to take this prank forward. But like you may have some people on your staff who are above reproach and you just get them as kind of like, you know, introducing them to the technology of streaming, have them engage in in the shenanigans and keep your hands clean. Mm. (laughs) Mm. So we need a team training session on OBS then. I think so. I think this is a a team project kind of deal. Yes. Yes, absolutely. This is genius. How can we utilize this technology to bring the most joy and chaos yeah. mm-hmm. to the meetings that we have to go to? And then once people figure it out, then you can go back to like lower thirds and scrollers and stuff where it's obvious you're using OBS. But to open with, you need to kind of have this kind of sequence of, of mysterious events that are happening with your camera or your people's cameras. I mean, you can you can just add glitch overlays slowly over the course of a meeting, right? That kind of like... This big green pixels. So I'm 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 hearing uh, I'm hearing like team morale building by gaslighting. Yes, is like yeah. The gaslighting yeah. component is actually important because yeah. you can be like, yeah, you can be like, hey, my person's having a problem. It, I don't see it, but my manager sees it. So anytime Amy's like, why is your camera upside down? You can be like, oh, her camera is right side up for me. I don't know what's going on with your <laughs> installation, Amy. <laughs> You're clearly nobody else sees. Yeah, yeah. Nobody else everybody sees. Everybody else has to be in on the bit. I also like how we give all the bits away in the podcast before we do them, so that like there's actually ample opportunity to be wise to us before it happens. <laughs> We're like perfectly wide open about this information. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that actually might be the best yeah. part. Actually, huh. well, I mean, it was it was right there. So yeah, there, yeah, at this point, yeah, yeah the chance. Uh, all right. Now, what's going to be really interesting is to see how that how one of those above reproach persons uh, chooses to edit that last segment. But we'll we'll see what. I- <laughs> <laughs> well, I've kept this section entirely intact to preserve some level of career immunity when it's most needed down the line. Good point. Good point. I want to know how long your above reproach people remain above approach. <laughs> as long as they're funny. Yeah. I mean, they have a ways to go. Like they, you know, I think that it's 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 best the way that it is. Like you know, we we try to keep them out of the limelight of many of our shenanigans, you know, quite intentionally. But this one's too good. Yep. All right, Matt. You uh, you had given you you when we started talking about this on Wednesday, you had put a few topics that you had pulled off Reddit 
is just a, uh, and I guess this is kind of an echo of like how our, uh, our, we're doing a reverse AMA. So instead of like doing an AMA on Reddit, we're just going to go ahead and pull all the uh, interesting topics from a few cybersecurity subreddits and talk about some of the cool topics they have going on there. Is that your... Well, part of this goes back to the to the thing that we were talking to Lorraine about, right? Where, where it's hard when we're... When we're putting together topics, like our topic, I think next time is is going to be a specific actor that we can really kind of dig into and kind of do. But what, but those are self-selected topics. And I kind of wanted to go like, what are some of the questions that are out there? The Reddit r slash cybersecurity Reddit has its act together for the most part. There's not too much nonsense in there. Um, and there's a lot of people asking very earnest questions. And some of them, some of those questions look like are really interesting like the the one that where they were talking about their professor said don't use password managers or something kind of like caught my eye i didn't dig into any of the responses in the to the questions i kind of just copied the the opening part so we may be retreading a whole bunch of stuff because there's there's smart people in there right i'll be honest the uh that the the one the uh password manager one almost spurred its own whole episode. I mean, we we haven't done it yet, so it may be just the whole episode. Yeah, I mean, because I think there there was enough there that that was that was an interesting. As soon as you put that one up, we, that, that was a whole separate like twenty minute conversation. We did just to know that's changed. We did, and I admitted to like writing down my password sometimes. If somebody breaks into my house, I don't care if they steal my password. No, <laughs> that's that's where I'm at. <laughs> I'm gonna look for my passport. Yeah. The deed to the house. I don't know. You know the stuff that I actually need to survive. You know, I, I I really I really think the 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 whole don't write your passwords down was like the era of open offices, like and yeah, things that people actually yeah. being in work together in an office. That is a mistake, right? I, I've definitely seen like you. There was a a period in the two thousands where you could buy um, empty notebooks at the target that were like my passwords and like people were mocking them and i'm like my dude a, a password recorded only in a book in my house in the drawer next to my computer is more secure than a password manager yeah know? it's more secure than you reusing the same password right like if the book ensures that you will use a different password every time that's that's the main thing that my password manager gives me a big ass long randomly generated password I will never remember and cannot even be tortured out of me. <laughs> right? Yeah, which is why no repeats. Why I've written down my password like so like my um, I have passwords that I just don't know, and and if I if I'm going into a situation where I know I'm not going to have access to my password manager for specific reasons, sometimes I have to have my password on me in case I have to get in and do something. But it is still by far more secure than me incrementing some number by one and using the same password I used for the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've kind of like danced around the whole, like the, the central to how passwords are stored is knowing what your threat model actually looks like. Like what is actually, you know, it, what is a threat or what is not in your particular situation? Like we've kind of talked around that a little bit, but that's what it is. Like if you're in a shared office space, yeah, don't keep it on a legal yeah. pad next to your desk. That would be a huge mistake. You know, if you have the ability to keep an encrypted cold wallet of your passwords in your backpack, like whatever it is that works for you for your use case and is secure is the thing to do. And I think that's how I would actually, like, that's the, the interesting thing about, um, in, in where I think the conversation on Reddit may have gone was a discussion about not password specifics. Because you can very easily be like, no, like a password manager has the following things in its favor. And this is assuming that the password manager is correctly architected and built on the back end and it's, you know, the security concerns are leads, not just like, you know, a list of plain text passwords on someone's server somewhere, but like, you know, properly built. <laughs> um, but then I think looking at... Bob's like, discount password wallet. Yeah. <laughs> it's cheaper than free. We'll pay you. Oh my God. That's the best idea. <laughs> That's the greatest idea ever. <laughs> What are you doing? Hazel, cut this. <laughs> <laughs> We've got our backup plan.
How'd you crack their password? Well, they gave them 50 cents a password. It was really easy. Yeah, just bleep all of that out. A business was just born. Oh, my God. A, a business probably, we need to pick what country we incorporate that one in. That's a... That's like a double win because you could have like this situation where lower income people are just creating junk accounts and selling you the password. But then when you resold them, it wouldn't matter to the person you resold them to that half of them were junk passwords. So we could really benefit a lot of people here with this. Oh, it'd be really good if you, you just, just the thing that builds the passwords is very funny to me. You're like, I need a password for your this. And you're like, oh, what do you need it for? Okay, here's your password. And you just kind of sit over here in the metadata and you're just like, it's a very similar to the question that we asked a couple of years ago about which intelligence agencies own which VPN providers, because it just makes so much sense that if that's your job, that you're going to oh, yeah. set up this this system that... Yeah. Can we just give Troy Hunt like a view-only admin account of like, just like, yes, all of these email addresses should be in your database. <laughs> yeah, what, what cable companies and small phone providers? What? Yeah, yeah all that information. And all that own. stuff. But the... The thing that I that I thought about was the evolution of the approach to the password in general. Um, because I think, if I remember right, because uh, I had pulled up the, the entry and I think I saw the first response. And I think the first response was something like, they probably told you you had to rotate your passwords every 90 days or something. And so it's very interesting, the, the world working out the password like because there was a time when when i started security where the microsoft password was broken up into two eight byte fields that were independent and so like you could easily crack it because you're like oh i have these two pieces they're only eight bytes long i'll just you know take no time to to crack this password and and just everything that we've learned, because a password's like a new construct, sort of. I guess not real new, but like it's the application. The of, storage of it is. Of yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So like and I told the story when we were talking yesterday, like I was evaluating an intelligence feed, like, like a, a media slash intelligence feed um, at one point, and I had forgotten my password for its service. And I did the password reset thing, and their solution was to send me my password. And I was Whoa. like, I, I called our account manager, and I was like, uh, you, sh one, should not be able to do this. And two, I know the you other should people know that better. take advantage of this service, and you should not be doing this. Um, and so, uh, and I was actually ended up on the phone with their, like, lead engineer who was telling me we know we're already going through but like like there's so many ways to do passwords wrong um what's really interesting is when the guidance that we're giving that like like through um through the ietf or whatever else um we're like oh this is you need your password needs to be at least eight things long and have a number and a letter or something because like i would rather have like no special characters and have like a 15 character long password then have to have like special characters like in between like like and if you do the math like that's a completely acceptable way to approach it i think one of the problems that we end up with here is that it is due to the fact that we approach everything in security as a set of rules instead of like a basic understanding of what you're supposed to be doing exactly mm -hmm. yeah it, it's it, like well i read i read the government regulation for this and therefore this has to be the solution and you're like uh, i mean you're not a hundred percent wrong but like you're making your life a whole lot more difficult than it has to be and you're also sort of ignoring all these kind of modern problems and so yeah that guidance change in terms of how to construct passwords how to store products and particularly that rotation piece like even you know even you know in cisco we've seen like a lengthening of that cycling um but also it increased, you know, in, in determining, ensuring that those passwords are properly selected. What's what's also amazing about passwords is the, you haven't heard about this so much recently, but like there was that push about a year and a half ago, two years ago to have no passwords. Like we're going to, we're, we're nearing the passwordless era, which, 
is, and we've talked about this a couple of podcasts ago, if you are sitting on the throne of security at your organization, you should probably just presume that your passwords aren't worth anything um, because they can be stolen. You've got remote employees. They'll make bad decisions. Like some of them will, will, will be okay. But when you operate at scale and you have to be right everywhere, you have to presume that some people will pick password one, two, three as their password and they'll get in or that they'll have a really complex password, but it will be stolen by Redline and then sold on, on the underground economy and then they'll get in that way. And so you should certainly approach it as if passwords are breached, but I don't know that I would just discard the password as one piece of a broader authentication strategy because every piece that you bring to the table gives you some degree of, of control. And, and just discarding the password because it's people make bad decisions probably is throwing out some part of the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. Certainly, password managers have a set of concerns around them, but I think that the risk out of not doing that for the average user outweighs the, you know, that's that's why it is guidance now. You know, the, the current NIST guidance is passwords of complexity and a password manager. And that works for most people most of the time. So it's the best, you know, the best practice. I mean, I would much rather my kids have to remember one complex password and know how to get to their other passwords than to reuse their same shit every place, which is the tendency for them to do if they were to have to do otherwise, you know, left to their own, that's what would happen. Left to their own, all users decided that, you know, this, I'm just iterating my password. That's why that's no longer best practice. Like, Turns out, in practice, people do the easy thing. Yeah, you have to set people up for success, not failure, right? And that means... Well, and it's also hard It's also hard for certain companies because if I have to have a password to protect this company that I am doing business with, like, I don't care. I'm not overly... Like, I don't have, like, a super crazy password for Hulu or Netflix or whatever else where I'm just protecting their... Their stuff. Um, so it's on. It, it's in their best interest to have controls that force that. Although honestly, if any of those things kept uh, logging me out of all of my devices at the rate at which they do, and they forced me to have a complex password, I would delete them. Like at at eight thirty at night, when I have sat in front of the television with my brain off, the last thing I'm going to do is get up again, get a laptop, open it up open a password manager, type a complex pass. No, no, I'm just going to be like, never mind. Oh, yeah, I've definitely been in situations where I'm like, like I try to turn on like uh, Spotify or something on the Apple TV. It's like, you need to log in. And I'm like, there's literally no way I'm going to do that right now. I'm just going to pick something else to do. <laughs> yeah, so that's another that's another problem that companies end up with, right? Yep. And I'm not interested in the whole what's a, you know, 2FA, but also... Those those organizations like Hulu and, and Netflix and Dropout and those other streaming services also have some amount of control over um, some of the environments they end up in. Like, so I would imagine that on like the Apple TV, for example, you can have a longer password retainment strategy or a, a an authenticated like interaction strategy because that's a well controlled environment. There's not a whole lot of you know, additional adversary on it. Plus, what are you protecting? Um, as opposed to on a general purpose computer where there's no telling what's going on on that on that Windows device. So forcing authentication more often there would make sense. Yeah. There was, a, there was several other good questions in there. I don't want to spend the whole time just talking about passwords and, and, and password advice there. Uh, I was just looking through currently but i wanted to there was the other one uh oh the uh the 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 password dump that large password dump that you were talking about and and it was something like i didn't look into it but you guys said it was more than what i thought right because i was like they're like biggest password dump ever and i'm like well when you put enough password dumps together it's going to be pretty big and that was my presumption was that it was you know a password dump of of like the the archived previously known stuff but i guess you had said someone had said that they were 
there were more previously unknown passwords or something in it? It was 71 million unique records. Mm-hmm. And... Which is not uh, a lot. I saying Troy Hunt was saying that he's like hasn't seen like the the vast majority are not anything that they have logged in the Have I Been Pwned database. Oh, uh, okay. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that he does now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was 104 gigs. Wow. 70 million unique emails. How many people are on the planet Earth? What percentage of people are owned in that? Seven, seven, seven to eight billion. So, so nothing. Based on a random sample set, only uh, 65% of the dump was already in the, like, already pre comp like, already known to have been compromised credentials. Interesting. By his database. So 35% net new of that 75 mil- of that 70 million, which that is kind of crazy. Like, that's a lot. I don't know where the hell they all came from. We should put out a bunch of password dumps that are all AI-generated garbage. Just like gigs and gigs and gigs of garbage. And then sell that to Okta and to Duo. And then when they see this password, they can presume that the source is, is up to no good so they can block it into whatever whatever Microsoft calling their Active Directory shit now. I don't know what it's called. Well, no, I think that that's just a second revenue stream for the first company we created. Yeah. What were some of the other questions in there, Matt, that you uh, that caught your attention? I don't know. I'm not in charge of this episode. Oh, yeah, that's so, right. That's Mitch's job. That's Mitch's job. I had screenshotted them into the Beers of Telechons when we looked. I mean, I think Hazel would disagree. I mean, she has influence. Like, like she can't change the input, right? But she can change the processing. <laughs> The one that started the the first one that commented on it was how can I self learn in cybersecurity, which which um the first thing I thought of was how can you not self learn in cybersecurity? Like literally, here's here's the thing that you need to know. Everybody you talk to in cybersecurity is gonna have like uh this repository of knowledge. Um and depending on how long they've been doing it and what they've done, they'll have like a general set of slate of knowledge where they can apply generally accepted understanding of security to novel or previously unknown environments or situations. And then there will be specific things that they know a whole lot about, like like election security or reverse engineering or actor tracking or, you know, how to get SOC 2 or like, you know, password management or anything else. And... The thing that, that I, I want to, like, as someone who has to field what's happening in the world on a daily basis, much of what comes into me, I am not an expert in. And in a lot of cases, I have not been exposed to. Um, so think back to, like, solar winds. Like, a lot of people didn't know what solar winds was um, when that first came out. And so you part of security is you have to be able to rapidly onboard knowledge and then operate in an environment where you have to make critical calls with limited amount of, of information. Uh, and so I think it's just, I'm in a research team and I've been on a research team for 20 years now. Um, so my experience may be different than say a SOC analyst. Um, but if you get something inbound and you don't fully understand it or you don't understand it at all or you don't know what this word is, that does not mean you're not good at security or that you don't have a place in security. It means that the world has taken a turn that you haven't been prepared for. And that's literally been the last 20 years of my life. And so you have to constantly be onboarding information. Um, not necessarily at the depth you would in a college class, but you need to understand enough about the, the intricacy of what's going on to then apply everything you know about security to that situation to make the right call for your company. Um, and there's that sort of internal process. And then you have to, particularly in a leadership position, have the soft skills to build relationships with other pieces of expertise in your organization. Um, to then make the best calls. So say 
this like there's no way this would be the case but like say you're at a bank and you're in a security position and you have something going on with swift and you're not an expert in swift now i like the people who are doing security at banks know swift inside now but if you were exposed to swift and you were new there will be people inside that bank who are experts in Swift and how it works and how it not only how it works, but how it operates within the environment that you're in. And so you have to have the soft skills, particularly in a senior in a leadership position, to acknowledge that you don't have all the information to make the correct call and the trust that you can reach out to people, gather from them the information you need, run by them your playbook that you're developing, vet it, and then execute on it. Um, there is nobody who is out there making calls as information coming in, just saying, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing, this is what we're doing. There's a ton of what does this mean in my environment? Why is this happening? How does this technology impact my decision making, et cetera? That's, that's kind of what my first thought uh, was when I saw this, how can I self-learn in cybersecurity? It was well, First, you have to understand that you have to constantly be self-learning. And then I'm sure they were probably directly relating over some more general concepts like Security Plus or CCNA or or the preliminary pieces of like a CISSP or something. Um, all of that, you just sort of have to pick what's interesting to you and then run after it. Um, uh, or or if you're in a, a less enviable position, pick what your company will pay for you and then become an expert in that and then move someplace where you can do what you're interested in based on that information. But that was that, that was one of the ones that I thought was really interesting. What anybody else? I, I would add something to that tactically, and this is this goes like this isn't just a security thing, is or a technology thing really. This is a more general thing. Like there's two kinds of learning. There's like technical and the, like you know like learning theoretical and like technical aspects in a traditional setting, and then there is gaining experience from somebody who has you know been there and done that for years into this thing you want to do they work together and one's not necessarily you know better than another in a vacuum uh but you need both of those and especially anything that is more self-taught or self-paced that you're picking up like, I mean, I don't give a shit if you're learning guitar. You can learn on your own, but until you play with somebody who plays better than you, like, you're not going to excel in the same way, and it's just not going to make sense. And the same thing goes for technology, it goes for security, it goes for any technical skill you could try to acquire. I do want to give a slight uh, other path here, and and this is something I think people, I am always astounded that people don't think this way. This is how I think about it. If there is something that you want to understand, you should know that God did not make it. A human being made it. And if a human being made it, then you can take it apart and look at all the parts of it. And further, if a human being made it, then that human being collaborated with probably thousands of others. And in order to do that, they created documentation. And then they'd like other people to use these pieces of technology. So they put that documentation on the internet. And so... Anything that you can buy, all of the pieces necessary to understand how it works are in the public domain for all of it, right? When I didn't understand how the kernel worked, I read the Intel processor manual because the Intel processor manual is the manual that Intel sends to operating system developers to be like, this is what we've given you to make your problems go away. This is how you use it to build an operating system go build an operating system because we don't want to do it, right? Just read the book. It's all it's all there for any person to read, right? So don't think that these things are black boxes. Dig into them and the information, you, you will find it. Yeah, there is a there is a a period of your of your career arc at the very beginning where everything seems like magic. And then, and you're spending so much time as as someone who's trying to build um, human capital in that environment that you're just, you're kind of scraping together. Oh, I'm going to understand firewalls. I'm going to learn how this firewall sort of piece works. And, and you become consumed with how something is meant to be used. Um, and that's really important from an operations side so that you understand these are the levers and buttons I have. Um to to go about executing my mission to keep this environment secure 
But until you realize that how something is meant to be used has no correlation to how it can be used, once you make that leap, now you're actually doing security. Um, and now you're able to think with the adversary as you're trying to understand what they're doing. Um, even people that should know better have, haven't gone through this um, kind of learning process. I remember at Sourcefire, um, sitting next to Lorraine, while Lorraine was talking to a Sourcefire developer, and this person was a developer of firewalls, um, and in my opinion, should have known better than to, to go through this process. But she was explaining a bug that we had found, and she was asking that it be fixed. Um, and his argument was like, look, I understand that you found this, but you only know about this kind of situation because you have access to the source code. Um, and this was a piece, and just for those of you who are thinking of Sourcefire as an open source company, this was a piece of source code that we kept closed. Um, so, so his statement had some structure to reality, but she, she, I remember her saying, she was like, no, I can just take the compiled code and look at it and then know what it would have been in the code. And then I can come to the conclusion of what's happening and then find the bug. And I remember him saying, well, let's suppose that's true, which is the funniest thing that I had ever heard because that's literally what our team did every time Microsoft patched something before we were in the Microsoft program, because we would have to go through this process of reverse engineering the patch, diffing it, and then figuring out what it was doing from, from this code. And so that is understanding that how the intent of the author of software has nothing to do with what the software does. The software does, and it will taint you if you know yeah. about it. <laughs> software does exactly right. What so it that's does. why a lot of the time I don't read source code because if you read source code, you're in the reality tunnel of the writer. Like this is what they oh, think okay. it's supposed yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah. And if you just read the compiled code, you're like, this is reality, right? The intent is not there to taint. And there you. have been some really edge case stuff where compilers have introduced bugs that were not, you know, would not have occurred in different compilations and stuff like that. But, oh, I've seen so much. Yeah. <laughs> so much. And the more optimization you add in, the worse it gets. Yeah. Getting to that place where where you don't not, not meanly, but like you do not take anyone's word as to how something works at face value when you're evaluating for security concerns is important. Like, so for example, um, if a company says, um, we had ransomware, we have a whole bunch of critical stuff that's been encrypted, but we have no evidence that the actor exfiltrated the data. Now that's potentially true that they have no evidence, but what a security person should look at is it would have taken three seconds if they have access to encrypt it to transfer it to where they wanted it. Like like that, like you cannot say absence of evidence is evidence of absence in this case because everything they needed, they had, and they decided to encrypt potentially rather than copy, but they could easily have copied and then encrypted. And so like... like Always privilege or priors, yeah. right? You, you can't like, like, so you're like... You have to look at statements like that and be like, okay, but do you, can you prove they didn't? Like, did you have, like, here's the question that I would ask if I was in IR and we were trying to build um, like a really good understanding inside of an organization. Do you have sufficient controls and monitoring so that you can confidently say that had they exfiltrated that data, you would have had the information that you needed to determine that they did. Do you have appropriate, you know, flow monitoring? Do you have endpoint monitoring where you can see what they're doing? Like, can you track the actor's actions and say, I would have seen them zipping up a whole bunch of data and transferring it if they had done that. Um, and not a lot of companies are in that position. There are some that are, um, but like that is a very high bar to clear in terms of security maturity to where you can make definitive statements about what an actor did not do. And so when you right. see, particularly when you're like in 
critical infrastructure or other places where you know that typically they're underinvested in security, like be real, real um, doubtful about certain kinds of statements, uh, particularly when they're like, we see no evidence because in a lot of times there's no way for them to see the evidence. And so that's why they're not seeing it because <laughs> I'm not looking. <laughs> Which is crazy. Like, like I was at a, I was at a, um, at a conference where, oh, this woman did me such a good favor. I can't remember her name. I was at, I think it was DC Next, or maybe it was something else. Um, and I had been asked at the last minute to sit in on a panel, and the panel turned out to be about like uh, government regulations related to incident response. Which, let me just say, is not my area of expertise. And, like, I guess the the facilitator was trying to be nice to me, and he was just like, hey, Matt, what do you think of Presidential Directive 42 and how it inflates? Like, and Heather, it was Heather, it was Heather, uh, a woman named Heather King who was there. Uh, Heather was sitting on the panel with me and must have seen my face as I was like, I have no details about this particular piece of security. And she very gracefully kind of stepped over and took the question from me and made sure that I got one that was more in the wheelhouse of specialty that I have. But in the Q&A on that session, um, so I guess it's a long way to say thank you, Heather, um, for doing that. Um, in that session, there was a lawyer in the crowd who explained that because there are requirements to companies to notify customers when certain kind of breaches have come into play, part of the legal recommendations that he has seen is to not look for those breaches. Right. Oh. And so, yeah, which, which is like, you know. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I absolutely right? understand and that. So, um, That's the same as don't audit the software. You're not allowed to look at your own company's software. What if you find a bug? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, so there's lots of... Um, I guess you spend some time in security where you're like, I'm so excited to be in security. It's, it's, it's so interesting and I get to do all these things and I'm doing this right stuff. And then you go through a phase where you're like, I don't understand why some of these decisions are made. I don't understand why we're not invested the way I think we should be. I don't understand why I don't have the tooling that I want. I don't understand, you know, and you'll come to understand that like security is so important and everyone agrees that security is super important. Um, but like nobody wants to pay for it, um, because it's ultimately a cost. It's, it's, it's like a cost that has to be borne as part of doing business. And so that's why when, that's why I pushed back so hard on some of the nonsense around how, who's qualified to be a CISO where there, where there was a, there was a breach someplace. I don't remember what breach it was. It was a large breach. And it turned out the CISO was a music major. And people were like just piling onto her as like not fit to be a CISO. And I was like, like you don't even like you clearly don't understand the role of a CISO in t today. Like like no CISO is configuring your firewall, right? Also, the CISO of Lyft was a journalism major and he did a great yeah, job. Yeah, I mean, just like like there's no like like one, I don't know that I this this may be the hottest thing. Like, I don't know that I've seen a bachelor's level security course that I would recommend or a security program that I would recommend I to a incoming freshman over a computer science program. Yeah, absolutely not. No, no way. That's like a, that that's like trade school versus college. It depends on your cyber degree. There are like policy, like I can't speak to history law school track. There are still cyber degrees, but they're not at all a technical degree. But that's yeah, that's a whole different technical. animal, though. I mean, that's... I have seen some master's degrees program that I thought kind of got towards covering like some of the reverse engineering and some of the more advanced stuff that was really like kind of critical to my career path. And again, this goes back to we're only experiencing the the trek through the world that we we have gone through um but yeah if if you're if you're an incoming freshman and you're passionate about security 
take a computer science course. You can learn everything else about security. Learn networking. Pick something. Like, I don't want to say learn networking. That's definitely the way I came into it. Um, yeah. Not um, anymore for security. There I are certainly say. like places where... Fine. Learn application development. Well, I don't think you can say to someone, like, if you're interested in security, learn this kind of abstract piece, yeah. right? The fundamental underlying piece of all of it is is computer science, right? For for technical stuff. Um, and that's kind of why that's where like where you be like I would argue that you could also do a math major um, and be in a position yeah, or electrical engineering yeah, and be in a position when you come out of it to pivot into a world that maybe you're not 100% prepared for but your skill set will destroy a whole bunch of the problems in that space and you will become valuable in a yeah. different way and then you'll have to spend time on the ground learning some of those the CRE pieces. But but yeah, I'll agree it's better. I don't know if computer science has kept pace as it should have either. Like with some of the folks coming out of computer science programs, you know, now have complained like like uh, I don't even never even looked at code. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, you got to pick a good program. Yeah, yeah. Go to like an actual computer science place. Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, for sure. Uh, but but still, I would rather take a poor computer science program over a poor cybersecurity program. Um. Just because, well, in terms of modality of thinking and things that you learned as a course, you know, like, I, I, yeah, absolutely. And it also, like, to some extent, I'm also kind of displaying a bias in that I have a 60 person team. So when I'm hiring, I can afford to hire laterally, if that makes any sense, like outside of the core space to pick up someone who has an interesting set of skills, knowing that I have the fundamentals on on staff that I can then convey over the course of a few years to that person as they work through the progress. But you have to be committed as a manager to to understanding where those people are coming in, where their skill sets are, assigning them work that fulfills a skill set, but also assigning them work that cross trains them into broader security concepts. The other thing that I would say is we are very spoiled um, in terms of who we're able to hire as Cisco. Like just looking at some of the people who are trying to get into the industry, like kind of what what they're experiencing just through Reddit. Like 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 I'm not not speaking to them directly, but watching kind of how they struggle and how they're trying to go through some like a lot of the focus in in on Reddit is like on certifications and kind of studying for it, um, and just that's. It's so hard to distinguish yourself like when you're coming in and you're like, I have a security plus and I have a GSEC or something um, from everyone else who has a security plus and a GSEC. So when you have additional skills to bring to the front, like like if I had an English major who had you know gone through and gotten security plus and GSEC but could write, yeah, the communications component of the stuff that we're doing. But when you're looking at a smaller shop and how like they might even have one the draw to get the right candidates or two the um, the ability to process those candidates and identify which ones are top tier and which ones aren't like there are places where it's just like this game's super hard I guess is what I'm saying and it's hard where we're playing it at the level that we play which is at a fairly high level um, but it gets amazingly infinitely harder when you're trying to operate in the same world as some of these top tier threats and an under-resourced both from a money and a human capital standpoint um it's and, and that's when you see some of the really really strange stuff come out in terms of incident responses and stuff where you're reading that that different decisions that are made and or you're asking like where are some of the security basics and like the, the just there wasn't a possibility given the what was handed to that security team for them to come into that place. Which is why I'm always really hesitant to join the trash wagon that happens when someone has a security incident and everyone's asking what the security team was doing. It's like you have no idea how that security team was treated, what they were asked to do, what they were given, anything else. Um, as you sit on your your couch and type, type in the internet. Which we do not recommend you do. We were having that conversation earlier too. <laughs> that, was, that, was the, uh, that was the alpha male conversation. Oh yeah. yes, that was mm, yeah our favorite dude. Uh, next week 
we are going to have an interesting topic, I think, in store that people want to want to tune in for. Uh, we'll be talking about critical infrastructure, Volt Typhoon, China, some cool stuff that is, uh, I think, kind of on everybody's mind right now. There's been a lot of a lot of CISA directives coming out. A uh, lot of what's the word of it? Chatter. There's been a lot of chatter on Volt Typhoon last month. There's there's a there's a bunch of activity on Volt Typhoon. There's a lot of people very worried about Volt Typhoon, and rightfully so. Um, so it'll be good to dig into it. So that's what we're gonna what we're gonna dig into next time. Uh, before we go, let's go around the table and get a parting shot, closing thought. Uh, Matt, we'll start with you, and then Lorraine. Um, I don't have a. I don't. I don't really have a. Uh, parting shot, I'd, I'd say check out that video, Iren, um, by Ren that I had talked about earlier. And then uh, drop us a shout. Let us know what you're doing. Haven't, uh, we, haven't, we haven't polled the listeners in a while. I'd be interested in kind of just hearing what's going on in their world. Um, run into a couple of people on the real world talking. It's always interesting to talk to people who what they're experiencing. I'd love to see what they think about some of the stuff we talked about today, what we missed, what we what we are blind to given given our particular position um and maybe some of the other stuff that we should be talking about or paying attention to do we have a do you have a mailer still yeah is beers with talos at cisco.com or something like that yep awesome that's exactly it so drop us drop us a line drop us an email tweet us at talos john talos yeah Tom, john hey. talos if you tweet us how about you lane parting shot closing thought i have a weird piece of advice based on some conversations that i had this week, okay. which is that uh, it is always beneficial to have something that you do every day that you can get slightly better at just through your own efforts that nobody gives a shit about but you so that every day you have this opportunity to kind of satisfy yourself in some way or have some way to measure yourself on your own terms. And so that's any hobby that you can do your whole life that you do at least 10 minutes a day that you can see yourself getting better on. That's it. Uh, or if you have ADHD, the hobby that you have this month, uh, which is completely different from the hobby you had two months ago. <laughs> you could do it that way, but I think that removes a lot of the satisfaction. <laughs> I, how long have you been playing piano? Literally the only way I can do it. Um, that is, that is the one thing. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Cause I, I've, I've had like a, I've had a hard week. And so it was interesting that I was able to use the piano, um, to kind of like get through it. Yeah. Um, that's what I mean. But like there were pieces of like, there's like some things that weren't available to me just because of the mood that I was in that I would normally go to. Um, but yeah, piano, but I, I would just say music in general. Uh, because I've got some harmonica sitting on the table that I'm trying to figure out. I got a bass guitar, got an acoustic guitar that's sitting by the chair. Um, just anything you can pick up and be like, I, I need, I need to do something different. Um, it helps both from a like a mood management, but also like a, sometimes you just need to let your brain process something on the backside while you deal with some stuff that you you are interested in and then when you come back your brain's gonna be like hey i was working on this while you were gone what do you think of this um yeah sort of a variant of the talking your problem out sort of thing yeah it's a it's a meditation it's a yoga it's the the thing that you do so your brain can go off and do its own thing yeah and exercises like that too i made sure this week that no matter how bad i felt i didn't skip you know my gym time because that's part of the therapeutic piece of, of trying to keep the brain working right so stuff that you can that is easy to grab a hold of, not something that's not something that's super complicated to pull out, but something that's always there for you very quickly in case you need. You've got five minutes between meetings, and you just need to like bang on the keyboard to just get it out before you, so you're not take it out on the poor person's in the next meeting. Um, I use I use my keyboard is always turned on and ready for me to sit down for like two minutes, three minutes. And just go through a chord progression or play through a song or something just to to break up the day. Yep. For sure. Nice. That's, that's the thing. That's what I mean. Well, I just want to uh I just want to give actually I want to give a quick shout out 
to my co-host for being able to to keep it together today in the glory of my mustache. Uh, I know that the listeners can't see how absolutely incredible the uh, the the beard shaving has gone, but it is it is it. I mean, it, it's a picture of mustache perfection. Uh, it is called the Randy. I feel like he's about to stick his head into a swamp so that a big catfish can bite his face, and then he'll pull it out with his face. Okay. That's what I think is going to happen so because of that mustache. I have sent Hazel a screenshot of your face as it exists right now. Mm. So I, the, she'll be the first one on my team to see so it. That can, go, that can go into the show notes. Or or if you want to see a picture, send an email to us, and then we'll hey, it's send worth you a picture. It. It's worth it, yeah. a little bonus. Oh, yeah, that's a good way yeah. to do that. Uh, we can put that on the uh, BWT OnlyFans. That'll be... We'll, we'll, we'll debut it the, there. The OnlyFans. Man, I'm so glad that... Or so sad they would not let us do OnlyFans shirts, but the Barbie shirt's pretty great. I'm <laughs> so glad they did not. Fair. Did not need, that. Did not need that in my life. All right. So that's going to do it for us today. Uh, probably about five minutes too late. But that's fine. So until next time, uh, stay safe, stay secure, and we will see you then. See y'all. Cheers.